Hello, welcome everybody to another episode of Marketing Ops Confessions. I am Laura Bear. I'm the Demand Gen Manager over at Mad Kakudu, and today we have Monique Lemieux at Drift. So hi, Monique, welcome. Hey, Laura, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, yeah, I see some some waving hands here. Uh, hey, Francis. Uh, um, before we jump into the conversation, I want to make sure that everyone knows that we do have the chat and the questions. We love um, audience participation. So if you want to talk to each other in the chat, if you have questions for Monique or um, questions that uh, you'd like to ask each other in the chat, please make sure you do. And we'll make sure to address through throughout the conversation or um, even at the end. So... Yeah, we'll jump in and we usually just start off with uh, Monique. Tell us a little bit about how you got into marketing ops and a little bit about what you do at Drift. Sure. Um, I was sort of lovingly pushed into operations, I would say. I came up in through demand generation, basically. My first couple of jobs were working for relatively small companies where I was more of a marketing generalist or on the demand generation team, and we didn't have marketing operations resources. And I think that when you are working in a company like that or on a team like that, there's always going to be somebody who naturally gravitates towards those operational tasks because they don't really go away. They are always there. Someone on demand generation needs to pull reports so you understand the performance of your campaigns, even if you don't have a dedicated ops person. And found that I was spending a lot of my time doing those things and gravitating towards those areas, even though what I should have been doing was developing content, you know, creating nurture campaigns. And I had a manager, uh, her name was Melissa Stevens at a company called BitSight, and she mm. recognized that. She had a conversation with me at one point, kind of sat me down and she said, hey, I noticed that you've been spending a lot of time in these areas and that's great. You know, we need time spent in those areas, but are you interested in a career in marketing operations instead? And I said, no, at the time I was like, you know what? I'm good where I am. I like the creative side. I don't want to be behind the scenes. I don't want to be stuck in Excel all day. And a few months later, the same thing kind of happened where I was trying to force myself into this creative role and was really just spending my time elsewhere. And at this point, my manager sat down with me and she was like, we're going to try this for a little bit. You're going to try going onto the marketing operations team, dedicating yourself to this. And if you hate it, you can come back and it'll be fine. You can come back into the demand generation, but we have a need for this. You clearly have a skill set for it. So let's try it out and see how it works. And I was a little bit resistant to the idea at first, but it took like two weeks before I realized, okay, this is like the sweet spot for me. This is where I should be. And my career really took off after that. So I owe a lot of credit to Melissa for pushing me into operations. Yeah, I find it funny. And Ethan's saying here too, like, weren't we all lovingly pushed into yeah. apps? But I usually hear that people fell into it and maybe they're saying fell and they were actually pushed. I'm, I'm not so sure, but that's interesting that you said that you were supported there and that in this scenario, you had a, a certain role with um, specific uh, tasks that you were doing and you weren't really focusing on that. And your manager saw this as an opportunity for growth. And um, I know you're in a management role now. And so I'm curious is like, how can someone who's a manager um, really look at these things? Like maybe someone is focusing in different areas and um, approaching that growth um, for someone who maybe really has a, a strength elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's a good question because obviously as managers, we want our teammates to succeed in the roles that we put them in. We want somebody mm -hmm. strong in those roles who's really capable, but that's not always the case. You might hire someone in marketing operations who has a future in business intelligence instead, and they could probably benefit your company even more focusing on that. So I think the first is having a mindset of my team is probably not the end all be all for this person. And they might have other career aspirations outside of our own small sphere that they want to focus on in the future. So being able to get outside of your own ego a little bit and understand that they might want in one or two years to transition over into another team or focus in a specific area. Um, I think that's the first step. 
And then right. the second is probably having those conversations very proactively with your team members, like ask them open-ended questions about what they enjoy working on. Where are they spending their time? Uh, what are the things that are actually motivating them? I think you can learn a lot if you just ask those questions and listen to people's answers because um, your teammates know better than anything else what they're actually enjoying spending their time on and how they might see themselves focusing on something else in six months or so. Um, and then maybe ask their peers, like, what are yeah. they excelling at? Where do you see them really getting excited about their projects? What are some of the areas that you think that they need improvement? I think that the peer feedback process can be really revealing, especially if you have somebody on your team who maybe is not totally self-aware in the way that I wasn't self-aware at the time when I was focusing so much on marketing operations, but thought that I wanted a more creative role. So I think not only talking to that person, but just being really open and honest with them, and then also looking toward their peer for some of that guidance as well. Yeah. And on the flip side, how would you suggest that someone who has a role that they need to focus on, but they do know or they see where their strengths could go, like how to manage continuing to focus on and make sure that you're accomplishing what you need to in your current role, but starting to try out this new direction or support different projects in a different direction? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think if I had one of my teammates come to me tomorrow and say, hey, I'm interested in a future in sales operations, for example, it's sort of a tangential field, but it's not my specific department. I would say find where there's overlap between your role and this new role. Like what are what is a project or initiative that you could work on jointly with your peer or your counterpart in that department at your current organization? Can you develop a relationship with them and start to learn from them a little bit without taking too much time away from either of your day-to-day -day at work? Like, I think there's a fine line between asking someone for advice and looking for mentorship within your company versus like overburdening someone, trying to get them to train you on something that right. they're doing when it's not your specific role. So I think that you have to make sure that you uh, walk that balance and have somebody who's on board to kind of spend a little bit of time teaching you the ropes or sharing some documents with you. Um, and there are other things that you can do probably without spending a lot of time meeting with other people, maybe get access to a new piece of technology that you're interested in learning, even if it's read-only access from another department. So you can poke around, learn a couple mm -hmm. of things. If there are training videos that someone from that team you're interested in joining has created for their team members onboarding documents, like you can take a look at those and start to get a sense for what do they do day to day? What would this job feel like? So that way you can get a better understanding of whether it's something you're interested in. And then I think the last thing is be very honest and communicative with your manager about it. If you're interested in a different role, if you even are just have an inkling that you might be interested in something, I think it's better to bring it up with your manager sooner rather than later. Yeah. Focus on the benefit. What can you provide if you were to focus on this instead? What can you bring to the company or what different perspective might you be able to bring if you were picking up different work in other areas? Yeah. And your current role or your previous experiences might even lead to um, helping you in this new direction. Francis is asking a question that I really like about how does coming from demand gen impact your approach to marketing ops compared to other MOPS pros you've maybe encountered from like sales ops or analytics or people who've been very um, focused on the marketing operations path? I think it helps me get in the shoes of the marketers themselves a little bit more. And when I say marketer themselves, I I mean, I am a marketer, I'm on the mm -hmm. marketing team, but the campaign managers, I should say. Um, I know what it's like to roll out an integrated campaign because I've done it in the past. I know what are all of the small pieces. There's so many moving parts and so many people who get involved in the campaign launch process. And I think it's really helpful to know the big picture if you've done it before, because that helps you understand, okay, what are the questions they're going to ask? What are yeah. the things that they're going to be looking for? Um, what does success look like? What are the different reports that I would be interested in if I wanted to understand how my campaign was doing and whether I was reaching the right audience? So having been through it before, I'm able to know what a marketer is looking for and then be able to ask some of the questions that we should be asking strategically. Um, I think sometimes I experience 
instances where someone will come to me with a request because I support the entire marketing team, but maybe their request is not necessarily the right way to do it. And because right. I have been through the ringer before launching campaigns, I'm able to make a good recommendation about a more efficient way or a different way to approach the angle. Not that I am like the end all be all of understanding how campaigns work because I don't, but and at least gives you a little bit of a leg up understanding the big picture. Yeah, it kind of gives you that from your experience, you know, they might be looking for something else. So when that request happens, are you finding that they're asking for like a very specific um, tactic versus like, this is the goal I'm trying to reach? Yes, yes. Usually when that comes up, it's someone is asking for an output. When mm -hmm. I like to start from like, what is the question that you're trying to answer? So for example, if someone came to me and said, hey, can you pull a report that shows me how this persona, how many leads have we generated in this persona? And I could create that report, send it to them very quickly, but I think what's, why? Why are they asking that question? What are they trying to understand? Is that the best measure for them to look at the performance of their campaign? Should we be looking at conversions instead? Is there a different angle? So I like to kind of take a step back and say, let's not think so narrowly about whatever question it is. What is the future of how this looks? How do we need to scale in the next six months? And what does this report look like then? Yeah, and I think this is really good for a, another question that I would dive into is like, you just had that really like big picture conversation in this marketing ops role with this person. And I know one of like your fears or one of your pushbacks with marketing ops was like, you didn't want to get stuck in spreadsheets. You didn't want to be behind the scenes, um, but you actually, you know, really took off in your career once you you stepped into marketing ops. And so um, were there any other concerns that you had with moving into marketing ops or what are, are some other things that you commonly see or like resistance to getting into this that you think um, aren't true or like that you could debunk? Yeah, I think the first, the thing that was catching me up the most was I felt that MOPS was so behind the scenes that there was very little visibility among leadership in your organization, or um, I wouldn't be part of those strategic discussions. I wanted to make sure that I was still a voice in the room. And I was really afraid that moving into marketing operations, I was gonna just be the person who was pulling the report or executing on the nitty gritty of the programs. And I think that was more of a, a bias of not really understanding how if you're doing marketing operations, then marketing operations function successfully. There's so much more value than being somebody who pulls a report or somebody who integrates a program. Like you can be a very strategic voice in the room making recommendations because you're in the day to day to day, you're working with the campaign managers day to day. So you see it all. And uh, I experienced in reality that people were looking to me for advice and people were looking to me for recommendations way more than they ever had when I was in a demand generation role. Um, I think the other thing too is like the spending all day in spreadsheets or spending all day in Salesforce. I don't really love repetitive tasks and I don't really love monotony in my day-to-day, -day, monotony in my day-to-day. -day. And um, I was worried that moving into operations, it was going to be, okay, I'm running the same workflow day in and day out or, I'm looking at the same dashboard, cleaning up data on the back end, day in and day out. So I was worried about getting bored, I guess, with the work and not feeling like I was using my brain enough. And yeah. that also proved false very quickly too, because there are so many complex questions that you get asked and so many problems that you have to solve, making the business more efficient, improving conversion rates, understanding how we get successful with pipeline. Like Those are really big, interesting, complex initiatives. And you get to address it from a lot of different angles. So I've really enjoyed it personally. Yeah. Um, and Ethan's asking here, I love this question. Are you able to find creativity in MOPS? I am. I am. And there's also, this is probably partly because people in my organization encourage that. When we have campaign planning meetings or we're kicking off the next quarter, thinking about our integrated campaign themes, planning our offers, we get everybody from the team involved. 
people from analytics, people from marketing operations, we've got mm -hmm. our campaign managers, our digital marketers, we all have the opportunity to bring ideas to the table, even if we're not the ones who are going to be executing on that specific program. So um, I have seen some of my creative ideas come to fruition in my time at Drift, which has been amazing and really rewarding um, that you, someone listens to what you have to say. And if it's a good idea, somebody will help execute on it. Yeah. And I think too, there's so many ways to be creative, like what you were saying earlier about like um, complex questions or solving problems. There's so many different ways to think about things, like even like budgeting, like you might not be a numbers person and <laughs> you're like, oh, I hate numbers. You can't be creative with that. But there's different ways to utilize a budget and place it. And so I think there's so many ways to be creative. And I think especially within marketing operations with problem solving, getting different teams involved from managing different processes or even like uh, request and take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I'm thinking about like one of the projects that I'm most proud of that I felt most energized behind. A couple of years ago, we rolled out this new forecasting model. Mm -hmm at the channel level uh, based off of a multi-touch attribution model that we were running. And it was something where it's kind of new, nobody was really doing that at the time. Um, it was, we spent probably an entire quarter on all of these different aspects of the project, redoing our campaign structure, creating new dashboards in our Looker instance, um, developing new methods of reporting. And it was just one of those ways that we could use our like analytical process oriented brains, but create something new and inventive and innovative out of it. And it was just, it was really exciting. It was definitely a way to use the creativity, especially I always get really excited about building new dashboards and new visualizations. Yeah. Like if someone can not really enjoy looking at a table of numbers, but get really energized seeing a dashboard and all these fancy charts, like that was exciting as well. Yeah. And I like to think with marketing ops and any other like operations role, you're enabling the execution. And when you have these conversations with the people who might be the executors or the producers or what we might think as like the creatives is that when you come together, they might have this idea of how it might be the end product, but, you know, from this workflow or this system or the pieces you open up possibilities by like what they have access to. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of being involved with a lot of different areas of marketing. You can also be the person who shares those insights from one department to another. Mm -hmm. Hey, someone else was doing this really cool thing that was successful or this email subject line was killer, got super great open rates. Let's try that in a different campaign. If the campaign managers or the people who are rolling out your digital marketing programs, they might not necessarily be talking to each other every day, but you can be a catalyst for helping drive some of those improvements as well. Yeah. Um, the last thing I want to ask about um, your experience or like your hesitancy, but then your career taking off with marketing operations. Do you think that, you know, you had this, this success because of the opportunity within a marketing operations role or because now your focus was towards something that you truly enjoyed doing? I think that's a really good question. I would say it's probably mostly because I was energized and enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. It was in the right space because um, you can create a lot of visibility for yourself. You can create a space for yourself in any role. I think if you are passionate about it, or even if it's not your passion, but you are motivated to create something new or bring your role to the next level, people will notice that no matter whether you're in a demand generation role or an operations role or, you know, sales role. Um, I think it's about finding your sweet spot and the thing that actually like gets you out of bed in the morning to be energized to go to work. And for me, like that happened a lot more when I moved into marketing operations. And there are yeah. still days where I'm like, you know, I don't really want to do it today mm -hmm. um, every once in a while. But everyone goes through that thing from time to time. And I do think it was mostly because I was I was seeing the impact that I was making was really enjoying the way that I was using my brain to develop these new projects. I was getting good feedback too. And so all of those things kind of build and, and build uh, into something very positive. And I think the second is that I had the ability to work more broadly with more members of the team than I yeah. was before. So it was a little bit more specialized in a certain area doing um, marketing automation or nurture programs at the time. 
And I wasn't working super closely with the people in customer success or in SDR team. And I really enjoyed that part of my job as well. So getting involved with more departments and seeing the impact that I could make not only in marketing, but in sales or revenue operations, um, that was very energizing as well. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And I, I um, ag- agree with the the idea of like, you get to support and help so many people. And like, when you not only get to do what you love to do, but you get to support and enable people in succeeding and what they're trying to accomplish that that is so rewarding, even when you might get stuck in some like monotonous roles or an Excel sheet or like a dashboard that could be complicated or not too fun at the end when you know you're, you're helping all these teams reach their goals. That's uh, very rewarding. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Speaking of teams, I know that you have been building your team at Drift. I think you mentioned it's maybe 90 days since your entire team has been together. So um, I'd love to hear about your experience at Drift whenever you started um, to now this team that you've built. Sure. Well, when I started at Drift, we were a team of two in marketing operations and we were kind of splitting things 50 50. I think we both had come from sort of generalist backgrounds. We were mm-hmm. able to flex in the areas of technology or analytics and we just kind of went off to the races, like get stuff done. And for a couple of years that worked, but the team was growing, the company was growing, and our team wasn't growing at the same rate. It was it was just the two of us for the better part of two years. And it got to a point where just felt like we weren't successful because there was so much more that we could have been doing if we had more resources on hand. So even though I was, you know, working constantly, just like nonstop pushing things out, trying to get things done, even though there was a lot that I was producing. At the end of the day, I was thinking to myself, I don't have any time to spend on forward thinking initiatives. I don't have any time to spend on strategy or the roadmap. And I found myself feeling kind of defeated by that. Yeah. So um, after my, the, my second colleague, the other person who was my counterpart in the team, after she left for another opportunity, we took the opportunity to revisit the team and say, What do we need in order to actually meet the goals that we need to meet next year? Who do we need? What are the department, what are the roles that we need to fill? What are the pain points that we're experiencing? And we built out a roadmap or I built out a roadmap, I should say, of what we could do this quarter, given the one person that I had on hand, which was myself at the time (laughs) to get work done. So it was like, this is me, the one person on the team. Here's all the stuff we have going on and here are the initiatives that I can support. And then I drew it out quarter by quarter. If we hired these people in Q4 and then a couple more people in Q1, here are the additional activities that we could support each time. In any case, I don't have to get too deep into the details, but I worked very closely with um, marketing leadership and we grew our team. Now we're five, including myself. So we've got two people on the analytics side, two people on the technology side, And it's like night and day. We have so much more capacity now to support the team. We've got a lot more structure and rigor and um, process, I would say, that was kind of lacking when it was just me trying to be as scrappy as possible. And now we're setting ourselves up to scale for the future. So even though for a lot of people, five marketing operations um, rules might not sound like a lot, it was just one like four months ago. So it's been a huge improvement and really, really rewarding to work on as well. Yeah. One thing that you mentioned is that you you built this roadmap. And so how how did you approach that with, um, you know, you were doing a lot of reactive thinking, you weren't able to be proactive. And so um, how did you present this roadmap for what would be beneficial and for the resources that you needed as well? Yeah, I, it was Definitely a partnership with our CMO at the time, or she still is our CMO, our CMO, Katie Foote. Um, we worked together to figure out where are we struggling? Like she was a really, really great partner. When she came on board last summer, she took it a point to meet with every single person on the team, understand 
how are they feeling? What's going on? What do they have bandwidth for? What are the pain points that they're feeling? And found that she was a very empathetic leader and was able to trust that I could work very closely with her to say, this is what I'm experiencing and this is what I need in order to make it right and in order to, for the company to succeed in the future. Um, so I'd say the biggest part is like getting your manager behind you and getting your leadership behind you. Um, building that roadmap though, the way that I approached it was one from an area of what are my peers and industry experts doing? I researched a little bit. I tapped into my network. I interviewed a couple of people. Um, some people in sales operations often say there's kind of like a golden ratio of let's say between five and eight salespeople to every one sales operations person. So mm -hmm. there's kind of like that ratio that gave me a little bit of an idea of how many people roughly I should be thinking about in order to just scale my team. And then at the same time, I wrote out, what are our goals for next year? What are, what kind of growth do we need to achieve? What are the initiatives that we're trying to launch as a company and as a department? And what are the resources that we need in place on the operations team in order to be able to support this and not be a bottleneck? Right. And wrote out all the, those initiatives and then sort of backed up from there for who are the pieces that we need to put in play in order to get all of this done. Um, and then leveraged it from the standpoint of what we could get as a result. We talked a lot about some recent successful initiatives that we had run that improved our conversion rates, for example. We had a lot of incremental improvements over the summer that we had made trying to improve our response times, our handoff between marketing and sales and SDR. And we saw that our middle of funnel conversion rates had improved, I don't remember offhand, but let's say 10%. Right. And so it's a very measurable outcome that you can point to to say, hey, we put resources behind these types of initiatives, we can get this many more meetings, this many more opportunities, we can launch these many more campaigns. And when you're putting it in terms of dollars and impact and pipeline, I think that's when you start to get people's ears. Right. Right. And you mentioned that you had a lot of support from your CMO and from your leadership. And so my assumption is that they already saw the value in what a MOPS role could bring. Um, do you have any suggestions or advice for someone who maybe their CMO or leadership doesn't quite get what the value of, of MOPS is and or can bring and uh, how they can approach it to in, in that kind of uh, business case? Yeah, I think you have to make them understand. And if you feel like you're in a position where like it's not your role to be communicating with leadership, you still have to like put your foot forward as much as possible. One of the things that I've encountered in the past is I thought that my direct manager or their manager was advocating on behalf of my team when in reality, I don't think that was really going on in the background. So mm -hmm. my, one of my biggest piece of advice is like, you are your biggest advocate and you are your biggest advocate for your team. So if you feel that you're not getting um, those resources, if you feel like you're not getting the ear of your direct manager, like talk to someone in HR, figure out what your next steps are in order to get in front of the right people to uh, make your case. Um, I would say the other one is like very proactive communication with your manager, like speak about it often. You mm -hmm. can't just bring it up once and then expect that something is going to change or that they're going to work on getting resources in the background. You have to be very persistent about asking for it all the time um, and, and making sure that you are telling them about the results that you're getting from your initiatives. Um, I would say a piece of advice of something not to do, um, or maybe let's, let's phrase that in a different way. Let's tell you what to do. <laughs> um, find out like what drives that person that you're trying to influence. So if it's your CEO and your CEO doesn't see the value in operations and doesn't want to, um, spend a lot of budget in that area, like what does your CEO care about? Do they care about the bottom line? Are they a numbers person? Do they care about seeing a chart or a graph that can show the success? Or are they a story person? Do they like um, 
you know, a creative direction? Do they like to hear anecdotes and hear feedback from other people? I think understanding how someone's mind works and how you can influence someone is really important because you could show a table of numbers to one person who has a very analytical mind and they might pick it up really quickly right. and say, oh yeah, I can see that right away. You might show it to another person and they just, their eyes glaze over and they say, I don't really know how to interpret this. Like I'm not seeing it. And I experienced that once in the past where I was a team of one at a previous company at the time. I was trying to advocate to get a second person added to my team. And the way that I did this at the time was I made a spreadsheet of all of the things that I was doing on a weekly basis. Here's everything I'm doing, all of my ongoing initiatives that just can never drop the always on things that keep the lights on. Here are my biggest initiatives that I'm running. Here's how many hours it's taking me per week. And I highlighted all of the areas where I was falling short or where we had gaps or where we weren't able to support. And I sat down with them at the time and it didn't work. It just it didn't get through to them. They looked at the spreadsheet and they said, what can you cut off of this list? Like just drop some of the things off the list. And so I can't get rid of anything. Yeah, it's, just, just, yeah. Yeah, right. it's like, well, nothing. <laughs> Maybe this one thing that might save me an hour every week, but it was, it felt very defeating at the time, but I think it just wasn't approaching in the right angle. I wasn't telling him, um, about the improvements my team was making that were driving more pipeline. I wasn't talking about how we could forecast more accurately our bookings number. I wasn't talking about how we were driving more people to the website based off of our recommendations. So I think knowing what it is that makes that person tick is very important. Yeah, yeah. And how, like, maybe it, you're not quite sure of what makes that person tick, right? How could you go about discovering that if it's not someone that you've interacted with a lot, but they might be a, a key decision maker and what happens next. Yeah. Ask other people what their experiences have been. Um, if you have a relationship with a peer or counterpart in another department who has successfully advocated for getting more resources on their team, find out what they did. Ask them who they talked to. Did they create a document? Did they create a roadmap? Was there numbers behind it? I think if there's someone else in your company who's done it before, you should learn from them and try to copy that as much as possible. So learn from your peers, I would say, is the biggest thing. Yeah. Another thing you had mentioned is that, you know, and you presented these hours and all the things that you couldn't do because you were stuck with like certain tasks. And, you know, that can be overwhelming to feel like there's more things to be done and you would like to maybe support or grow in another area. But for some people, they might get stuck in the spunk of like, I have too much on my plate. I, I feel like I'm not accomplishing things. And so what was your approach for like really getting out of that funk or like, how would you suggest someone else can, you know, get out of the everyday tactical overwhelm to, you know, moving forward? I think there are a few different things that I've tried at different times. I would say mm -hmm. I'm not always done them all successfully at once, but hey, we're, we're all a work in progress. Right. Um, one of the things I found helps is like, draw a line of the things that you should care about and the things that you should worry about versus the things that other people should worry about. Mm -hmm. I find sometimes that when I have a lot on my plate and things are feeling a little bit overwhelming, there's usually a lot going on in the whole company. And there's usually right. a lot of things that you can find that need addressing. And like, I would say, don't go looking for the other things outside of your purview that also need fixing and try to understand and make sure that you're focused on your own items and not the things that you can't control. Um, one of the things that I do every once in a while, if I'm taking on a little bit more mental stress than I need to, is I'll say to myself, like, put that stress on your boss instead. Not, not that I'm like actually talking to him and saying, hey, you should be stressed about this. But right. in my head, I think about it as, that's something for him to worry about. That's something that he's thinking about already, but it's something that I don't think he's thinking about. I'll message him and say, hey, I have this idea. Or this is on my mind. Can you kind of think about this? But what are, where are the areas where your boss can and should step in? That's number one. Um, asking for help from your peers and your colleagues, or even just like voicing that you feel overwhelmed can help sometimes. I think there's a little bit of a reticence for people to raise their hand and say, I'm underwater, 
or this is too much, or I'm, I'm overwhelmed, but everyone experiences it from time to time. So I think we need to set that aside a little bit and be able to say, Hey, like I'm struggling a little bit right now, or yeah. there's a lot on my plate and I need to reprioritize. Sometimes it feels a lot better just to say that out loud and acknowledge it. And then if your colleagues are good supporters, then they'll say, okay, how can I help reprioritize things? Or what are some things that we can take off the plate and revisit later on? Um, so the deprioritization process and reprioritizing the things on the plate is important. And the last one, I, I tell my, um, my teammates this sometimes is like, understand that some things are gonna slip. If you are in a situation where you have too much on your plate or you don't have enough resources on your team, there are naturally going to be some things that just can't get done or slip to the bottom of your to-do list or fall through the cracks. And you have to kind of accept that and let it happen. Uh, if you are the person who is constantly working until 9 p.m., 10 p.m. to get things done so that things stay moving, people don't notice that. You know, right. they just see that everything is getting done and the wheels are still spinning and the earth is, is still spinning. And mm -hmm. they say, oh, look, Laura is doing a great job getting everything done, even though she doesn't have very many resources. We, we have such a high performer on our team. Maybe we don't need more people versus if you're able to, you know, do your 40 hours, whatever it is that you normally do during a week and say, these are the things that I do not have the time to, to focus on. Um, you have to let that happen from time to time. And my second piece of advice related to that is communicate that as proactively as possible. You don't wanna get into a situation where you know something's gonna fall through the cracks, but your manager doesn't. And then at the end yeah. of the quarter, they say, what happened here, you fell short. But say upfront, okay, I've got all of these priorities. This is the one that needs to come off my list. I really just can't get it done. So either you need, you need to find someone else, we need more resources, we need more budget, whatever that is. Um, and I just saw that someone asked that. I absolutely made that part of my one-on-ones. Um, I try to make my one-on-ones with my team members not tactical at all. It, sometimes it does fall into the tactical, but I try to focus on like, what are the big priorities? What are the things that we need to focus on next quarter? What are some ideas maybe that we have floating on our heads? And But other than that, it's like, what are you need help with? what's on your mind, open-ended questions, because sometimes there might be something that they're struggling with that they might not bring up until you ask them. Yeah. One thing that I like that I've had in one-on-ones before, either like me reporting to someone or me being a manager is having stucks and even having the opportunity to know what's coming up professionally and personally. And I know um, sometimes you have to set the appropriate boundaries with what you want to share personally. Like, of course, you have no um, responsibility to share all your personal information at work. But having that opportunity to speak of, again, like what's on your project list or professionally or personally, that might be a blocker for you in that week. And having that open conversation with your manager is so helpful or even the team members that you communicate these things with because they can speak up and say, hey, I can support here. Or if something's taking you too long, maybe there's a different process that you're not aware of that's like, oh, this takes them one minute when it's been taking you five hours just because you were like, so bogged down and focused and trying to get it done that you didn't speak up and ask for help. Yep, absolutely. And that does happen sometimes. Like every once in a while, I'll be banging my head against the wall trying to find this one random field in Salesforce when I could have just asked the one person and they could have gotten me the answer in two minutes. So always speaking up is really important. And I think it's also good to have trust between you and your manager, or if you right. are a manager yourself, you and your team members. And you need to be able to have a safe emotional space for them to bring up those concerns and know that you're not going to chastise them for not meeting a deadline or penalize them or think that they're not able to handle the rigors of the job. Um, I think that's why people oftentimes are reluctant to bring things up every once in a while if they're struggling with their manager, but you need to find a way to build that trust so that you can bring it up and feel safe with that person. Yeah, yeah. I love that approach. Um, one thing that you had mentioned in our conversation before too, is that, you know, there's always going to be things that you have to get done and like tasks that you have to check off the list, but sometimes you do want that time for 
creative thinking or for education or for leveling up. And you mentioned that there was maybe like some time you set aside for that thinking or that idea generating. I do. I'm not always the best at keeping myself accountable to it, but the intention is good. I block off maybe two or three hours every Monday for myself before I have my one-on-ones with my team members. So I can think about what are the big themes that we need to talk about this week? Uh, how can I help them? What advice or feedback can I give to them? I like to be really like thoughtful about those one-on-ones that I have with my team members so that it actually benefits them rather than them just feel like they're reporting their, their task list to me. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is on the last Friday of every month, I block four or five hours for myself and it's called like my curiosity block. And it's when I just work on projects where it's not necessarily something that's on my priority list. It's maybe something I've been curious about or wanted to like um, try something new in the system, play around with a new piece of technology, develop a random new you know, Slack command or a new piece of automation. It's kind of my like fun play time for myself to yeah be a little bit more creative in my own job and, you know, not feel guilty about not focusing on my day-to-day initiatives. Like for, you know, 95% of my month, I am focused on my core initiatives. And for those four hours, uh, every last Friday of the month, that's like my creative time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Francis is wondering if you've found any cool recent finds. Um, actually last night I, I gave myself like in a little bit of an impromptu session last night and was playing around with some reporting in Salesforce and found this new way to stamp channel data onto the campaign member object in Salesforce. Mm-hmm. I was kind of excited about that. TBD, if it actually works really well, I haven't even told my team that I did it yet. Cause I wanted to see if it worked. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Trial and error. If it goes well, then I actually publish it. <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite things to do, and gosh, some previous coworkers would be like, well, it's crazy. And if there's any other people who do this, there's a there's a challenging part of this, but there's opportunity for creative thinking is if I'll read like newsletters or like see different ways to use a tool that I'm learning, I'll like keep um, an organized group of tabs for education, mm-hmm. um, which does build up a little bit. But I like to go back and like play around and see like, okay, where can I like learn something new about this tool or be more efficient or share it with someone else? So um, yeah, I do I do build up some tabs doing that, but I do go back to them and I do uh, go back and read those articles and try. I like the idea of keeping it open in tabs because I will sometimes download an ebook, put it on my desktop. And then two years later, when I'm cleaning up my desktop icons, I'm like, oh yeah, I never read that ebook. So keeping it open as a tab is a constant reminder, I guess. Yeah, it's a to-do, an active to-do. Um, I do see some questions coming in, so I just want to address that we will get to them. I We have a few more things I'd like to get to with Monique before we get to some of the questions that came up. So um, one thing that I thought was really interesting that you mentioned to me is that you're not a heavily process-oriented person. And so um, how do you manage that as um, a leader, a marketing operations professional? Um, And uh, you mentioned you have people on your team who are very process oriented. So um, how do you approach that? It's been a learning process, I would say, ever since, you know, I was in high school, probably. I I don't love like repetitive tasks. It's just kind of part of my personality. I don't love repetitive tasks. I don't love um, deadlines or rules or or structure very much. Like I have come to very much appreciate it and respect it in my professional life. Um, But I've always been a little bit more resistant to it, which is kind of strange for an operations person, I think. For me, it's um, learning from my colleagues and understanding how what works for them to work together. Um, Staying scrappy and kind of doing things like a quick you know, do it yourself type of way the first time is good. It's nice to be able to be agile and flexible and be able to adapt to things and, and roll things out very quickly. Uh, but there always has to be a follow-up to that where like mm-hmm. if something is successful, you standardize it, create a process around it and document it because I've learned over time that makes my life easier in the end 
if I don't properly document things or put structure around it, it makes it really difficult for me to onboard new marketers. It makes it yeah. really difficult for me to train my new team members. Uh, you know, maybe there's something that came up from two years ago that I just don't remember, even though I was the person who knew the answer at the time, like writing those things down and getting them set in stone, I think is very important. Um, but also I have started leaning in more to the, the process and the workflow of things. Um, we started using Asana pretty recently. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I had a team member, her name is Jen Lowe. She joined in, uh, January and when she came on board, she immediately recognized that we did not have any sort of formalized process for people requesting things of the marketing operations team. It was just a free for all, send a Slack message to Monique and she'll tell you, you know, the answer when she can get to it. Yeah. And my own list of to do's, you know, in my notebook that I didn't really share with very many people. So I, I've learned in hindsight that like my colleagues didn't have very good visibility into what I was doing and when things were going to be published. And it probably felt like a little bit of a black hole to them at times. Uh, when Jen, Jen came on board, she immediately was like, we need to put some structure behind this because it's yeah. not going to scale very well and we cannot do things via Slack. So she created this whole awesome like request form that assigns it to the right person. You know, we have SLAs for turnaround times now. We don't do anything if it's under 48 hour turnaround time. Uh, and it has been such a blessing. It's introduced so much more organization to our day-to-day. -day. It's been really helpful to have people um, on the team working together in ways that yeah. we haven't before. It's gonna scale a lot well for the future. So uh, I'm leaning into it really hard now. Yeah, yeah. Um, side note, I've worked with Jinlo before and I can say that she is amazing at project management. I've loved working with her and um, yeah. I can, I know between you and I haven't met anyone else on the Drift uh, Mops team yet, but that y'all have a, a powerful team over there. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, so I am going to skip to one question that someone asked because I think it's relevant to what just came up is that for um, this project management, is that separate from the rest of marketing. So um, yeah, so I think the question is, is the marketing ops project management separate from the entire marketing team? And then I think too, we can address another question about uh, where does marketing ops report to at Drift? Um, I'll answer the first question first. It is not a separate process. The marketers on the demand gen team and the digital team, content teams, everybody uses Asana, which is what we've been using. Mm -hmm. We all work off of the same board. So it's basically like we have these master templates that we've created for the entire campaign launch process. Mm -hmm. And there are different subtasks that will get designated to every different person who has a piece in the process. So that's the design team, the copywriter, the person who's developing the email copy, the marketing operations person who's creating the program and QAing it, we all get this little subtask assigned to us so that we can see what is the overall project, what's the deadline and the launch date, and what's everything we need to do in between that. We tried for a little while to use a different system than the marketers were using. Um, my previous colleague and I were using like our own spreadsheet for a little while. We tried using Jira for a little while. And I think the bottom line is that you're working on projects in conjunction with the rest of the demand generation team or the rest of the content team, you yeah. need to be working where they're working or there's always going to be a disconnect in issues with communication. Yeah, yeah. And what about um, projects that those outside of marketing might need to be aware of or involved in? Do they use also use Asana or do you have a different way that you communicate outside of marketing? There are some different teams that have their own project management systems. I think there are some other teams that use Asana, but for example, our systems and BI team uses Jira to manage tickets. So it is a little bit um, kind of disconnected between the broader departments, but we just started doing this thing where if somebody is requesting something of my team from a different department, mm -hmm. like someone from the sales team has requested our SDR marketing operations manager to do something we have them submit the task through Asana still. So even though they're not in the system themselves managing their own tasks, we still have the visibility among our broader team to say, here's the thing that we're doing for them and we can track against it. We have um, two 15 minute standups as a team um, each week. So there's one on Tuesdays and one on Thursdays where we review 
all the new requests that we got and just kind of discuss any questions that came up. Uh, and it's been really helpful to get everyone on the same page. Yeah. Um, Francis is asking, are you open to sharing some of the Asana templates? Uh, I also selfishly, I, again, like I have like secret connect with Jen Lo and I was planning on getting with her soon to, to show me, but for, for those of us who might not, uh, have a, the inside connection at Drift. Yeah, definitely. We'd be happy to share them. I don't, I don't have something I can share at this, this second, but we can yeah. absolutely share that a template. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. So we have a few minutes left. So I want to make sure to get to a few of the questions that came in. Um, okay. So Sherry is asking when searching for a new organization to work for MOPS, what are your suggestions when many organizations utilize varying marketing automation tools and you're an expert in Marketo and Salesforce, for example. So I imagine maybe you're an expert in Marketo, but maybe they use uh, HubSpot. My biggest piece of advice would be to keep your mind open and, and not pigeonhole yourself into one piece of technology, unless you're, you truly are like the Marketo certified expert. And that's the only thing that you want to focus on. But if you want to stay in marketing operations, I think it's good to know multiple tools, tools, because you're going to go to different companies throughout your career. One might use Eloqua, one might use Pardot, one might use Marketo. At the end of the day, they're all kind of similar in the capabilities that they have and the way that you can actually build things in the platform. So your skills will translate very well from one to the other. At my last company, we were using HubSpot. I had never even been inside a Marketo instance before. Coming over to Drift, we are a Marketo shop and it was pretty easy to get, to get ramped up and learn the new system. Now I know it in and out. And so I would say if you're open to learning more, like don't let that be uh, a barrier to entry for that role to you. And make it clear if you want if you want that role, the person who's interviewing you, if they think that it's a requirement to know that specific technology, make them understand like that's not necessarily a requirement. You can easily flex into that area. Yeah. Um, and she's mentioning here that they're required knowledge of Hub HubSpot, for example. And, and my understanding is that no... Uh, no tool is going to, you know, be a clone of another one, but some of the information and like the, the processes are probably pretty transferable. So um, probably doing some research into like what's similar and what's different between the tools and like, know that you do have a, um, you do have experience in another tool that's pretty similar and that you're willing to like dive in and do some training and that you feel that you'll succeed in, in moving forward because you do have experience with similar tools. Yeah. And you can yeah. leverage your network too. Like if there are training videos that someone can forward you from one piece of technology that you've not learned before, that way, when you have the conversation with the hiring manager, you can say, you know what, I've never really used it for a job before, but I've watched a lot of training materials. It's super similar to what I've been using with HubSpot. And so I feel very confidently that I could get up to speed like right away. And I think confidence goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm seeing, she's saying that she, she learns quickly. So yeah, yeah. if you're looking yeah. to apply, Sherry, go for it. Let us, let us know how it goes. Yep. Um, and yeah, the uh, one thing I'd love for you to leave off with, especially with the, the conversation we just had with Sherry is like, what is your advice to, to level up in your, your marketing ops career? Ask questions, like ask as many questions as you can without being, too annoying, I guess. Not that you would be annoying, but ask questions all the time, not just of the people in your immediate department, but if you're on a call with, um, you know, half the company and there's a question that you have, don't, don't hesitate to speak up. I think people recognize when you're engaged and when you feel like, you're, when they feel like you're listening and you care and you are contributing to the conversation, that goes a long way. So ask a lot of questions, get to know the big picture, don't just put your head down and focus on your one specific piece. Understand how your piece fits into the broader uh, into the broader team and what everyone else is working on. I think it's really, really great if you can be an agent of um, connectivity and positive change within your organization. So if you are proactively meeting with your peers in other departments or your peers within your department, to foster better relationships, get everybody aligned on the same goals and the same initiatives, 
people notice when you're doing those type of things and people notice that you're taking it to the next level rather than just kind of executing on what you need to do day in and day out and then leaving at the end of the day. Um, I'd say get tight with your leadership, like be a really close partner with your CMO. If you're in marketing operations, for example, yeah. or if you're in sales operations, get really tight with your CRO or your, your sales executive, uh, be their right-hand person because they are the voice of your department. They're communicating to your board or to executive leadership, what your team's doing, what's the success. And if you can help make recommendations and be proactive about surfacing things for them to focus on, like they're going to be eternally grateful for you and everything that you bring to the table. So that's definitely a big one to get tight with leadership. Um, if you're in an analytical role, don't just give people data, like tell them what it means, give them a recommendation based off of this. I try that if I'm ever reporting on something or presenting a metric, um, you know, outside of like, oh, here's a trend. Reporting on a metric, it has to mean something. There has to be like a story behind why I'm sharing it. A number is not just a number to put on a screen and say, hey, this is what we did. It's, this is what we did. Here's what we learned from it. Here's what we're changing next time. Here's what we're doing going forward to double down on the results. So everything is a learning opportunity. Everything is an opportunity to create a recommendation for someone. Um, and then I would say like, get tight with people in different departments, foster those relationships with sales. If you're in marketing, if you're in a customer facing role, get really tight with all of the go-to-market teams. Um, people in your company are looking for those employees who are going to bring the team together and motivate yeah. change and inspire others. So be that person and uh, bring together all those different counterparts that you have into one area. Yeah. Um, the sales team loves having someone in another department support them. And if you can get the support from sales, uh, I think that can quickly accelerate your, your career to have the sales team as your cheerleader. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big, a big reason why I was promoted at one of my previous jobs. I was really tight with the SDR managers and the AE managers. We weren't just talking about what's marketing doing. We're carrying it through all the way to what was this, how do we follow up? What was the success? How do we convert? Because it really doesn't just end at we generated a lead and passed it off. It's the whole the whole process. Everyone is in it together. So the more that you can get those salespeople to understand the value of what you're contributing, but also what marketing is contributing, the better. Yeah. And a personal experience of mine, though, I have marketing and advertising background. I was recently pretty new into the, the tech marketing space, and I learned a lot about marketing through the problems I was trying to help my, my seller solve. And I really enjoyed um, supporting them and even kind of uh, being their megaphone and that for them in, in the marketing team. Absolutely. And there's some, like you said, there's so much you can learn having that feedback loop about um, you know, your SDRs, your salespeople, they're the feet on the ground. They're talking to your prospects day in and day out. When, if you're a marketer, you don't have as many opportunities to meet with a customer face to face and to hear their story. So um, make sure that you're taking advantage of that too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there was one other question that's going to lead me to um, getting you to share some of your your connection or contact information if you're open is, I see there's some curiosity if, if Drift is hiring, which I was assuming that after hearing from you, people were uh, gonna wanna work with you or, or connect with you. So um, how can someone uh, reach out to you if they would like to know about uh, job opportunities or just have more inspiring conversations? Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'll put my message or, or my email address in the chat. I'm always open to receiving emails. I don't usually respond to them within 24 hours. So just an FYI, we, we like use Slack so often that I check my email maybe once every two days, but reach out to me on email. Uh, we always are hiring. Drift is always hiring. So definitely check out the careers page too, because it's a really fantastic place to work. Yeah, yeah. And so I have a special announcement while Monique is sharing her information in the chat. Next Thursday, we are celebrating our 50th uh, episode. So it's been about a year of Marketing Ops Confessions now. So 
make sure that you do register for our 50th episode. We're doing something a little different. It'll be game show style. So um, that will be really interesting and fun. So make sure that you sign up and you join. But um, yes, everyone, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you for participating. Thanks for the conversation and the questions. It really makes it um, a fun event for the speakers to, to have the, the community and our audience involved. So yeah, thank you so much, Monique. I'm so glad that we had you on our series. It was a very inspiring and insightful conversation today. Thank you so much. This is so fun. I'm, I'm really glad that I did this. It was great to be here. And thanks yeah. everyone for joining.